Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. China's president signs an economic deal with Russia's Vladimir Putin. China has moved up the timeline. They think they're going to run the world by probably 2030. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg responds to Republican lawmakers. Bragg himself looked at this case a year ago and decided not to pursue it. So that's how sketchy it is. The Fed is likely to raise rates again this week. And what that means for the economy and your pocketbook. We are in a very, 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 very dire situation. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, March 22nd. I'm Mike Scott. On Tuesday, President Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin signed an agreement to expand their economic ties. The move was part of a larger effort aimed at showing the two countries friendship without limits. During the meeting, Vladimir Putin bragged about plans for a gas pipeline from Siberia to China, saying the agreement was all but finalized. The meeting comes after the ICC issued an arrest warrant for Putin for allegedly kidnapping Ukrainian children. Beijing has grown increasingly friendly with Moscow over the past year as Putin's invasion of Ukraine has left the country largely ostracized on the world stage. K.T. McFarlane is a former deputy national security advisor and joined the Salem Radio Network and says that, in her opinion, the world is facing uncertain times when the U.S. State Department is being caught flat-footed by moves of the Chinese Communist Party. These are really dark times, because in our lifetime, we have thought of the United States as the global world leader. We set the standards. We help shape events all around the world. And the Chinese are moving out very, very effectively and quickly to establish the Chinese world order. And the State Department either isn't seeing it coming or is helpless to do anything about it, or frankly, is okay with it. Their, their, their job is to manage America's decline, not to try to regain American technological superiority or diplomatic prowess or anything. So just look at the last week, couple of weeks. The Chinese have negotiated a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia with the State Department didn't see coming. And it's a historic deal between two intractable enemies. And the Chinese didn't do it with military equipment. They did it with economic power. And they're buying now. The Chinese will have a lifetime, you know, infinite supply of oil and natural gas out of the Middle East. And in addition to that, they're probably going to build the infrastructure of the Middle East going forward, the 5G Internet network, which we kind of think of as, oh, great, 5G, fast, you know, fast downloads of, of movies. Yeah. But in yeah. fact, yeah. it's the foundation for an artificial intelligence, a digital 
um, management of, of the entire infrastructure of any country. McFarlane lays out what she believes Xi Jinping will be able to accomplish by having a meeting with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Now, let's move over to, you know, Russia, as you point out. The Chinese yeah. and the Russians have now this new relationship, no no hesitation on any aspect of the relationship. China's buying Russia's natural resources. Russia's probably going to buy weapons from China. China is having their technology helping Russia. It's a really bad combination, a formidable combination for the United States. And then Xi Jinping is going to talk to the Ukrainian president in the next couple of days, and he's going to offer him a peace deal. And he might actually make progress in a peace deal. Meanwhile, what is the Biden administration doing? Oh, we command, we demand unconditional surrender on the part of Russia. Russia has to leave. It has to give back Crimea and all these other places. So we're kind of not yeah. playing. We're supplying Ukraine with a lot of weapons, and we're giving them moral support. But we're not helping people find an off-ramp for this war. The former deputy national security advisor warns that, in her opinion, the world has no confidence in President Biden due to his adherence to progressive ideologies. What could China do to, to convince? We already know they have the ability to pressure Russia in a lot of different ways, pressure Putin to go to the negotiating table. What could they offer Ukraine? Probably the same thing. They're going to offer you um, Iran and Saudi Arabia. We'll build your digital infrastructure of the future. You can be a super high-tech country with Chinese investment. Now, in addition to that, Xi Jinping has made a speech last week, which nobody paid any attention to. But he said, I'm going to offer the Global Civilization Initiative. And he said, and this has been aimed at the Global South, as South America, um, Southeast Asia, South Asia, Pacific, and to Africa, saying, in a Chinese world order, you can all keep your societies, you can keep your civilizations, keep your own government, you know, govern yourselves as you will. But China, and that's, this is the quote from yesterday, stands guard over world peace. Now, how does that not sound like the new Chinese world order? The problem is countries are looking at this, and they're saying, well, there's that Joe Biden. He kind of looks like a you know crazy old guy. And the United States, which had the shambolic withdrawal from Afghanistan, and particularly in foreign policy, the United States, which under this administration is trying to shove down the throats of the world the woke ideology, particularly the transgender, et cetera, stuff. And it's wildly unpopular in the global south. McFarland warns that the Chinese Communist Party has eyes on a global Chinese order. China has moved up the timeline. They think they're going to run the world by probably 2030. Um, so that's number one. And number two, because they're going to have the technology. You know, they, they are going to be the sort of leading technology country in the world. So do we turn that around? Yeah, but you need a very different president and a very different approach. Stop the culture wars at home. Stop the woke yeah. ideology. Stop the crazy zealotry of the Green New Deal, which does nothing, by the way, to help the environment. It just enriches a bunch of cronies. If you really wanted to clean up the environment, we would be promoting clean natural gas, American, American natural gas. It's clean, it's cheap, it's abundant. We can send it all over the world because the world does not have the infrastructure and may not for 10 or 15 or 20 years right. to go to windmills and, and solar power. 
So the clean natural gas, American clean natural gas, is the perfect sort of bridge power to get us there. However, McFarland does believe there is a way that America can turn the tide. And so how do we fix it? New president comes in. Day one, drop the war on American fossil fuels. It's low-hanging fruit. Immediately, we become energy. Within a couple of months, we become energy dominant. The price goes down. Russia's bankrupt. Iran is bankrupt. The United States has a whole new industry, which is an energy industry. And it also makes American manufacturing the most competitive in the world. So let's say you want to make a car. You're going to make it in Japan, you're going to make it in Germany, you're going to make it in the United States. Where can you make it most cheaply? Well, you make it most cheaply in the country that has the the really cheap energy. None of these other countries are going to have it, but these are our near competitors. So labor prices are more or less going to be the same. We know the raw materials going into making the car are going to be roughly the same. The one determinant of the price is going to be energy. We can beat everybody in the world on that. So manufacturing gets fixed. We also have the political power, which comes from delivering exported energy to all of these different countries. So yeah, do we get it back? Yeah, but we've got to do it pretty smart. We can't afford any more mistakes. The exact details of Russia and China's Tuesday economic agreement have yet to be released. Responding to Republican House Judiciary Committee members' letter which demanded Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg testify before Congress on the possible indictment of former President Donald Trump, Bragg's office has issued a statement saying in part, quote, We will not be intimidated by attempts to undermine the justice process, nor will we let baseless accusations deter us from fairly applying the law. In every prosecution, we follow the law without fear or favor to uncover the truth. Our skilled, honest, and dedicated lawyers remain hard at work, end quote. However, since the former president took to his social media website, Truth Social, and speculated that he would be arrested, a growing number of people on both sides of the political aisle have been questioning the motivations and merits of the case that Bragg is trying to bring against the 45th president. Leland Vittert of News Nation says that Bragg should try to find a way out of the situation he put himself in so that he can avoid an embarrassing loss at trial. How does Alvin Bragg get out of this? And by this, I specifically mean breaking 250 years of American tradition indicting a former president and then potentially losing a very public and thus embarrassing trial. And to add to that, even Democrats who hate Donald Trump don't fully support this indictment. It is very difficult to find anybody who thinks that this is actually a good idea, that indicting former President Trump on this case in New York is a good idea. Vinnert lays out what he believes are the high stakes that some Democrats aren't willing to bet on. Democrats know you get one shot, one shot to indict Trump. If you lose at trial, suddenly all the other investigations look like jokes. You know the saying, if you're going to shoot the king, you have to kill him. 
An acquittal simply emboldens Donald Trump and discredits the Georgia investigation and the Department of Justice special counsel investigation. Even CNN's Van Jones is questioning if indicting Trump based on what Bragg has presented is a good idea. Porn star payoff seven years ago, uh, somehow tied to the election, but not really. Uh, it, does, it, it doesn't seem like the right way to go. Andrew McCarthy, a senior fellow at National Review Institute, a National Review contributing editor and lawyer who served as an assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, joined the Salem Radio Network and says that Bragg is essentially an elected progressive Democrat. I think it's to get uh, Trump nominated because the Democrats think they can beat him in in 2024. That you know, I, I think that's part of it, at least, Kevin. I, the other thing I think we should probably be more mindful of, we're very federal-centric in the media, but, you know, while federal prosecutors are appointed by the president and vetted by the Senate to at least to try to make sure that they're not going to use their power as a, as a political weapon. In the states, and in New York in particular, district attorneys and state attorney generals, those are elected positions. Alvin Bragg, it's probably better for us to think of him as an elected progressive Democrat than just a law enforcement official. McCarthy points out that last year Bragg didn't want to pursue this case, which shows how weak it is. Bragg himself looked at this case a year ago and decided not to pursue it. So that's how sketchy it is. But basically what they're looking at is uh, a charge of falsification of business records, which is a misdemeanor under New York law, but it can be inflated into a felony, a Class E felony, meaning it's punishable by up to four years imprisonment. If a prosecutor could prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant falsified the records for purposes of uh, concealing another crime. And the problem Bragg has is, uh, you know, it's going to be hard enough to prove that this was actually misdemeanor falsification of records. It doesn't appear that he has another crime. And even if he could show that there was some other crime hovering around here, like uh, campaign finance or, you know, some tax violation or whatnot, uh, he'd have to prove not only that the crime was enmeshed in all this, but that Trump intended by con- by falsifying the records. The former U.S. attorney says that Bragg will have a difficult time proving Donald Trump was trying to do anything but avoid embarrassing his wife. The two problems you have with that is, number one, Trump was not in charge of the Trump Organization records, uh, so he may not have known exactly how they booked it. But the other thing is, it seems obvious that the reason that uh, Trump would have falsified the records if he did uh, was to prevent the embarrassment that was the reason for entering into the non-disclosure arrangement with Stormy Daniels in the first place. Namely, he didn't want to be embarrassed with his wife uh, and right. he didn't want to take the political damage. But that doesn't mean he was concealing a felony. McCarthy believes that no one else in the state of New York would have had to face these charges. No, I think there's no one in New York, a city (laughs) of uh, eight or nine million people, not named Donald Trump, who would ever, ever have been charged with this. A federal judge has blocked key provisions of a California law, which drastically restrict the sale of handguns, saying parts of the legislation violate the Second Amendment. 
Daybreak Insider's Keith Peters is diving into details on this story. A lawsuit challenging the law was filed last year shortly after a landmark 2022 decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. That ruling set new standards for evaluating firearm restrictions. A U.S. District Court judge wrote Monday that California's requirements for new handguns are unconstitutional and cannot be enforced. The law requires new models of handguns that wish to be sold in the state to have certain features. The state has two weeks to appeal the decision before a preliminary injunction takes effect. Keith Peters reporting. As the Federal Reserve meets to decide whether or not the U.S. economy needs another interest rate hike in order to cool rampaging inflation, a few top CEOs believe that the market is in a very dire situation. Chairman Jerome Powell has embarked on its most aggressive rate hike path since the 1980s to try and combat stubbornly high inflation. However, a recent report indicates that the Fed may find it difficult to avoid a recession later this year. Lydia Moynihan, News Nation's business analyst, says that while many businesses hope that the Fed will ease up on rate hikes, Experts believe that this may be the last one we see for a while. A lot of people as we head into this, even Elon Musk weighing in, saying that the Fed shouldn't hike rates at all. A lot of Fed governors as well chiming in saying, calm down. We've had bank runs. We've had bank collapses. Just put your foot on the brake already. And then there's the expectation of what they will do. Increasingly, that expectation is um, that they will do a 25 basis point hike. That's what the market has baked in. 85% um, of people believe that is what's going to happen at this point. But it's important to note that there's what they will do tomorrow. And then, of course, there's what they'll signal. And this is what the Federal Reserve um, is able to, to do. And this is why people will be paying attention, not just to what they you know do with interest rates, but what they say in the meeting and what those notes look like and what Jerome Powell has to say, because even if he raises interest rates 25 basis points, but signals we're done, we're pausing, we're going to take a break. I think that would be a real relief to the market. So even if we get that interest rate hike, if he signals that after this, we're just going to let everything work its way through the system, we're going to just take a step back, see what happens. I think that would be a real relief to the market. So that is, I think, what people are hoping for at this point is we, we do get that little bit of a bump, but then we here that we won't have to deal with this for some time down the road. Mike Lee of Strategic Values Partners explains what he believes is the problem with the current banking crisis. I think this banking crisis is one of confidence, more so than structural issues. I think you had some very unique issues at Silicon Valley Bank that have bled across into a few other banks that were in this venture lending space. But beyond that, there's a lot of structural changes that have happened since 2008. Okay, obviously Credit Suisse has been in some trouble for a long time. That bank existed as a trading operation and based on capital requirements and the trading environment made it very difficult for them to exist going forward. Whereas a lot of these other large mega banks don't lend unsecurely to other banks the way they used to because of the capital requirements. Most of the interbank lending that's going on is through repurchase agreements or asset-backed loans. Lee goes on to say that, in his opinion, the bigger issue isn't the banking crisis, but whether the Fed will get to a point where it can no longer raise rates. 
no matter how good the banking laws are, no matter how good the oversight is, no matter how strong your balance sheet is, nobody can withstand a 20 to 25% deposit base withdrawal in a single day, as happened with Silicon Valley Bank. So I, I think the upshot of what just happened is lending standards are, are most likely going to increase, further slowing the economy. Because the problem is, is if the Fed can no longer raise rates due to this banking crisis and inflation stays persistently high, over the last few months, we have seen core services minus housing remain above 5%. Now, that's Jerome Powell's key indicator that he talks about looking at. So if the Fed can't keep rates high, if they can't keep raising as they need be, and we have persistently high inflation, we are in a very, 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 very dire situation. So I think the Fed goes 25 basis points. Um, I think yeah. how the market reacts depends 100% on what Powell says and reacts to the questions and how the market absorbs that. Um, but but that, what I see is not so much as a contagion from banks uh, or some sort of massive solvency crisis. It's what do we do if the Fed can't raise anymore, can't keep tightening, and has to ease so that there's no systemic shocks from the banking system. The central bank is also navigating bank-run contagion fears this week. After the recent insolvencies of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank of New York, and potentially First Republic Bank. Recent bank collapses that prompted a federal rescue are a reminder of the power still held by some Washington lobbyists. We get more on this story from Daybreak Insider's Jennifer King. It seemed like a good idea at the time. In 2018, Republicans working with President Trump to slash bank regulations joined forces with red state Democrats facing grim re-election prospects. The group passed a bill that rolled back portions of the 2010 Dodd-Frank law. The bill was marketed as a form of relief for overburdened community banks, but it also lifted the threshold for strict oversight and mandatory stress testing of large mid-sized banks. It's now being blamed for contributing to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, whose executives lobbied for the bill. Jennifer King, Washington. Researchers at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention say cases of a dangerous fungus tripled in just over three years, with more than half of these states now reporting it. On the medical beat, we get more on this developing story from Daybreak Insider Mike Hempen. According to the CDC, the coronavirus pandemic was likely partly responsible for the increase. Hospital workers were strained by COVID-19 patients, and that likely shifted their focus away from disinfecting other kinds of germs. The fungus, Candida auris, is a form of yeast that is usually not harmful to healthy people, but can be a deadly risk to fragile hospital and nursing home patients. It spreads easily and can infect wounds, ears, and the bloodstream. The study found cases increased from just under 500 in 2019 to nearly 1,500 in 2021. I'm Mike Hempen. And finally. Tequila. Bad news for tequila lovers. As some reports are suggesting that the alcoholic beverage is on the rocks. Reports suggest that extreme weather during the past few years in Mexico has hurt crop production of the base and main ingredient 
in tequila. The agave plant is harvested and the sap is extracted to produce the base ingredient for mezcal or tequila. And Mexico's national tequila industry officials deny a shortage in their classic liquor. However, experts say that the growing demand in the European market and inflation have caused a shortage in the, the plant used to make tequila. Exported volumes rose by 73% just last year. The price of the plant has also risen from 5 to 7 Mexican peso dollars. Experts say that a combination of extreme dryness and unusual winter warmth has depleted soil moisture reserves and intensified the drought across Mexico. Looking ahead, experts suggest that there is no indication of any improvement in the situation as the drying pattern continues into the spring. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. 